Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, June 24th, fresh off a return from a 10-day vacation in Hawaii. Wow, just an amazing place, fourth time there uh, for my family in the last, I guess, 12 years. Never really gets old, honestly. In my absence, Paul Strelo of Tiger Illustrated, continuing to crush uh, the recruiting news and intel. I told him yesterday, I am almost embarrassed to collect a paycheck uh, in view of, of what he's doing. Just an amazing job. He's great at what he does, and it is continuing throughout this weekend and next week and beyond at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Okay, to our guest, Darian Rencher. Man, this guy's got a lot going on right now, um, and it's man, so much fun to, to talk to him about so many different things. He's continuing uh, to harbor the football dream of the NFL, but he also has an ultimate goal of being a media talking head of, of some capacity. I think there's going to be a place for him in that in that field because he's dang good at talking and dang interesting uh, in the process. All right, here we go. Darian Rencher. Really good stuff. Enjoy. Okay, joined by Darian Rencher. Man, it's been a long time coming. You've had, uh, you've had a lot going on. I think I've had a lot <laughs> going on. We've been exchanging texts for, man, maybe like three months or so. Good to hear your voice. Right. Likewise, man. Good to be on here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So, you you got married recently? Uh, how long ago? Uh, two months. Look, let me be a good husband. Two months. It's today's the twenty third. Uh, today is the twenty third. Two months today. <laughs> what a what so a what an honor to be part of this occasion. The two month anniversary. You're you're sharing yeah, it. Yeah. You're sharing it with me. Come on. So, yeah, so we got married two months ago, man. It's, it's been it's been a blessing. Um, and I feel like it was it was perfect timing. Uh, tell me about where you got married. Um, honeymoon. I think I saw Bahamas. Uh, y'all went to. So we we had a bonus uh, honeymoon trip. I'll get to that in a second. But baby, <laughs> uh, basically, um, we we got married down in the Low Country in Bluffton, South Carolina, at a place called Hewitt Oaks. Um, beautiful place. Low Country is beautiful. Um, <laughs> 
So it was kind of hard to find a venue where everything was COVID related, but we found a great venue, had a great, uh, great time, uh, was able to just, man, weddings are special. Uh, you really can't duplicate the amount of love that you have in those moments and getting, getting that many people together, especially as you get older, it's so rare. So some of my teammates throughout the years, uh, coach wouldn't be able to make it. A couple of my, couple of my former coaches couldn't make it. Um, but a lot of my teammates were able to make it. I uh, had a good bit of my teammates in, in my wedding party as groomsmen. Um, but man, it was it was amazing. I was definitely one of the best best days of my life for sure, uh, an unforgettable day. And after that, we um, we went to Cancun for a couple of days, and then we went to Tulum for the latter part of our honeymoon. So we kind of got the best of both worlds there. And then we ended up getting invited to like a you, you're referring to like a Bahamas trip. We just got invited somewhere, to, which is which is dope. I've been to Bahamas since I was a kid, so I was able to go to the Bahamas. So the the bonus honeymoon, I, I need to. I need to look into doing that. I never had one of those. Yeah, I I will say like so the honeymoon we paid for the other one was kind of like a <laughs> gift. Um, <laughs> so that it was that's why I say it was definitely a bonus. It wasn't in the plans. So we just got it. Just it was close enough to our to our wedding to where it was kind of like actually like a bonus little honeymoon honeymoon for the summer. Very cool. Very cool. And can you update? I know you got invited to Panthers uh, mini camp. Uh, just update on on how how that went and and where things stand as far as as trying to continue playing. Yeah. So I went up there. Um, was really was really blessed. Had a couple teams calling, and the Panthers were the team that kind of pulled the trigger on me, which was I was thankful. And obviously, I'm a Carolina boy, so just to get up, be a part of like the the states or the areas team was a blessing. And so. I went up there and got invited to rookie mini camp. Had a great camp. Stay healthy. I felt like I was really able to showcase what I could do as a running back and as a special teamer. Um, and I had great feedback from the coaches, uh, the head coach, uh, and then from my, my position coach that was the running backs coach there. And then even the GM, um, Mr. Scott Fritter, who's the GM of the Panthers, they all had good things to say. Then, uh, but but I, I did get I did get waived, and so I was there. And by the end, like a lot of guys are kind of like, it's a business and it obviously it's respectful, but at the same time, it's like, all right, let me get your playbook. Let me get your iPads. Time to go. But, uh, me and the GM had some good, good, good conversation. He came up to me and just told me, he was like, I had, I made good impressions on the coaching staff. It's just sometimes like I, there wasn't room for, enough room for me on, on a 90 man roster. And so I'm kind of, uh, was in the meantime, my, his advice to me was to stay in shape, stay ready and to see if I could possibly get invited back to their camp or a camp in July. Because if you know, like, if you kind of go through OTAs and then you take a big break, that's kind of what NFL guys get a big break during the summer. And they bring everybody back. Every team brings their respective players back at the end of July. And you get ready for the actual fall camp going into the preseason games. So that's kind of where I'm at. I had a, a great mini camp. I feel feel very content. Like, anybody who's seen my interviews kind of coming up through the whole process, which is, man – if I get sneak in the league like I snuck into Clemson, that would be a huge blessing. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what happened. I had a really good pro day, and my biggest thing wasn't me necessarily not making it. It was me not trying. A lot of guys don't try because they're really scared of what can happen. For me, I was just like, all right, uh, I'm not going to live with any regret, just like I didn't live with any regret going to Clemson and trying to walk on. And that worked out for me. So I was like, look, it's going to be the same thing. I'm going to give it my best shot. I'm going to go train. I'm going to do a pro day. And then we'll see what happens. So I, I got a sniff in the league. That's all, if that's all I get, I'm grateful. But at the same time, I feel like I got a little more in me to get to the game. So we'll see. I guess my question would be, why not give it a try? Like, what's the what's the con to the pro as far as, like, why would people yeah. say, why, oh, I wouldn't do that? Well, I don't understand. It's a, great, it's a great question. I feel like your, your, your mom probably thinks a lot like me. But obviously, uh, there are some people 
especially my route, like if you're not a draft a drafted guy, like a lot of guys, it's like it kind of like the, the the journey of the route to to to, to the league isn't so cookie cutter as a guy who's drafted. You got the undrafted process, you got free agent process. So a lot of guys, I mean, they just think that like judging on how their college career went, it's just easier to just go move on into the world and get a job and do other things that they're passionate about. Me personally, is like as much as like as anybody who's followed me. There's a lot of things I'm passionate about doing, and I will do it. I am doing, but at the same time, you get a short window to play football in life. Football is not one of those sports like basketball. You can just play forever. Like football, you get a window to chase this dream, and I don't want to look up one day having any regrets. And some people, they they kind of are, they're okay, I guess, in the current state will be just being like, I don't want to try because I could fail. But my thing is like, I feel like the failure isn't not trying. If that makes sense. Yeah. When I mean, you obviously, I mean, you seem to be someone who already has has long since thought about opportunities pro football, and I'm sure you have plenty of irons in the fire there. But when the the football thing is still alive, as you're still looking forward to to July, how hard is it to compartmentalize and to stay as driven as you need to be? Um, in the football realm uh, to, to be able to have a shot when you got so much else going on and so much else to think about beyond football? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think I've tried to have be like a be prepared and have a vision as much as possible. I think I was lucky enough. NIL was really good to me and gave me a nice cushion leaving college to where financially and then my wife works. So it's just like financially, I don't have like a financial burden or, you know, that's a big part of it too. A lot of guys, uh, if it, if it don't work, if it doesn't work out immediately and I'm not one of those guys that say, I'm not going to be chasing this thing forever. I got, I, I gave myself, a, I gave myself a, a limit, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but some guys, like if it doesn't work out immediately, they kind of go get jobs or go play it, go, go to a different league and CFL, whether USFL, whatever. Um, but for me, I feel like I, I uh, like I said, I, I got some financial stability leaving college, which is a huge blessing was able to earn a scholarship and not have any debt leaving school, um, and then as far as like keeping the mentality, like I think it's sort of thing. I think you just take it day by day. I feel like it, it can be overwhelming for sure. And especially when there's like so many things like not certain, but then you kind of look back on my life and I feel like there's been moments of where things have just worked out because I've been persistent and God's been faithful. And so I look back on even how I, got, I even got to the Panthers. I remember I got called literally the last day. I had a bunch of teams talking to me, but nobody was pulling a trigger and inviting me to camp. And I, I, I could have easily given up in that in that window of leaving pro day up until mini camp, which is like a month span. But I just kept working out, and I just feel like there was still vision for me to play, and the door was still cracked; it wasn't closed. And so I just kept training. And then I, I can't imagine if I would not been training for that month, because I would went to mini camp and sucked. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that's kind of how that's kind of how I'm approaching this little stint of time between now and end of July. Is like, all right, like I mean. I could not work out because it's like it's nothing's promised at the same time. Like I, there's a, there is a, there is a small opportunity where I can get a chance. And so I'm just training and just having fun with it. Like I'm not stressing myself. Like I train every day, and I, at the same time, like I'm not. It's not overwhelming my life. And I got some other things I'm getting. Like you said, I'm I'm trying to get into because like whether I play ball or not, but I want I want to continue further in some other passions. Safe to say, not as intense and 100 miles an hour as it was in the pre-pro day run up. <laughs> Oh yeah, not at all. Pro day run up is crazy. <laughs> Look, bro, uh, that is a life of its own. It's so the, the training is so different than training for a season or even training collegiately. 
um, just because you're training for events. Um, you're not training. You're not even. You are training to play football, but you're training for like particular football drills. And you train to run a forty bench press to do a vertical to broad jump to do agility drills. And so yeah, that training was that training was was a test of its own. You go eight or nine weeks. Some guys depend on what when you when you finish your season. But like obviously Clemson, we always kind of played in the bowl game experience. So like that was from January to to mid April for or no January to March for me. So I had like a three two and a half month period. Of training, I went down to Miami, Florida, and trained at a place called House of Athlete, which is like a great facility. Travis, Et, and Amari went the year before I went, and so they kind of like they had a great experience. And I was like, if I'm in a position to chase my dreams, I want to go there next year. I had a great time, great experience. Like they had all the resources, just like Clemson, to give myself the best opportunity. And I was pleased with my pro day results. I feel like I had a good day. That's what gave me a chance. For Travis Etienne, uh, going and paying for all that training is kind of a drop in the bucket. Uh, for Darian Rencher, yeah. uh, a bit more of a chunk, <laughs> just because you you know <laughs> you're not going to be <laughs> you're not in first round uh, consideration. It was it money well spent, and I don't want to pry too much, but I'm just curious. I mean, is, is it is it a, a ton of money? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a, I'm pretty transparent. I feel like people who listen are just because this is a story I'll tell for for years to come. And hopefully, it's a once I get my shot in league, it'll be great. Like, so you have a great that's a great point. So I have an agent. Um, my agent came after the fact, which is no matter what, your agent's gonna get money if you get money. That's how it yeah. all works out at the end of the day. So, uh, guy like Travis, your agent, uh, or guy like and that type of guy you know is a guaranteed draft pick. Uh, your agent will give you pay for all your expenses, knowing that on the back end you're gonna have a nice contract that they'll get the, they'll get their money back. If that makes sense, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yep. So they go they're gonna they gonna get one two three percent based on how much they gave you up front. They know they're gonna get that and then some based on the contract the contract you sign. A guy like me is a little, little more high risk because like to give money to it, there's, no, there's no guarantee of getting drafted. Is so either you go train somewhere locally, which isn't isn't always bad, but a lot of guys. I'm from the area, and so I didn't want to be in the area for that. I want to kind of go try something new, and I want to give myself the best opportunity. So I went, I, I went to a place in Florida because I want to just get a new experience. A guy like me, I, like I said, NIL was was good to me. I was able to kind of pay for all my own stuff, and my agent came on the back end, and she covered some stuff as far as like leading up to pro day. Uh, but I, I paid for every basically everything as my training, and that can be – it's definitely five figures. I mean, so you got to pay for your housing. You got to pay uh, your, for, your, for your housing and for training. And for training, it's definitely not cheap. And so you're looking at, <laughs> oh, uh, the, depending on where you go train. And and I live in probably the, mo- the most expensive place in the world right now, the Miami area. Um, but let's just say I, I, took a, I took an experience, a vacation, and I trained in one of the best places in, in, the, in the country. And so... Uh, you give me a ballpark. I'll tell you. Let, let's low. say, uh, let's say Forerunner or Escalade. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're talking, we're talking brand new or used. <laughs> I think used is worth more nowadays. <laughs> you, you are exactly right. Um, How much is the going for? I don't, I don't know. Closer to 50 grand for? or closer to like 90? Oh, less, less, less. Okay. Less, less than 50. Less. Less than fifty. Okay, okay. So maybe like a, um, maybe like a Pathfinder. What's that going for? <laughs> a used one? I don't know. Maybe twenty five, thirty. 
you 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 get you hot. That's good. You hot. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh it's an I looked at it as an it was an investment. And so and uh my thing is I don't have any I don't live with any regrets. And so and I've met so many great people. Like that's the thing is like like you anybody in life that when you're going for something, it's like along the journey, you gotta keep taking steps, you gotta keep risking it and if God provides you the means to chase your dream, you got to kind of invest in yourself. And so for me, I just saw it, I saw it as an investment and I moved down to Miami, Florida and my network has increased so much. Just the people I met, the quality, the quality, not it was much as many people. It's like the quality of people I met throughout the beginning of 2022. And then seeing the results of like, man, I had a really good pro day. I, and I knew for myself, like I had a really, I, I became a man. I was supposed to be in college. But I didn't necessarily have like, these premier stats in college. So I, people knew I could play, but I never just played a lot at Clemson. And so I knew I had to have a good pro day. And I felt like the number, the, the, the things I put up afforded me an opportunity to even get a chance in the league, which a lot of guys let me get a chance. And so I don't have, yeah, I don't have any regrets, but definitely uh, it was an investment for sure. When you say relationships, you're just talking about like lifelong connections, just personal uh, relationships or possibly professional, yeah. that type of thing, all of the above. Yeah, I think it's just I look at it as all the above. I think it's like so. The, I mean, I think I, people who follow me and like my personal brand, whether on any platform, like I'm a big person of like dreaming and believing. I think when people see me go for something, it only solidifies who I am and and you know what I'm saying in their eyes. So it's like I think that was a plus. Is like like I, I put my money on out there. It's like I'm gonna go for it. I'm not about telling everybody else to like, go chase your dreams if I ain't chasing my dreams. And then at the same time, like uh, in that in that realm. Like I was training with a lot of other guys, like from other schools, who just—it's just like with well, anything, you never know how, how things will end up. Like guys like Chris Olave, who became a really good friend of mine from Ohio State, and we played against each other throughout our college careers, but never—we got now we have a friendship. Uh, I train with, train with uh, a lot of different guys who got drafted this year. A couple of the running backs from Ole Miss. We knew we knew each other through the process. We got really close. Uh, Zamir White was one of those guys who who's now a friend of mine. Uh, just to going through the process, you know. Then I got to train with some pros down there who, like, now we have a friendship. Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, DeAndre Swift. Um, there's different guys who just throughout the process you just meet. It was down there with Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. It's just, like, I was just alone on a journey. You just meet different people. Met some great trainers. Um, and so met, met some older veterans. A guy like Brandon Marshall, it was his gym. He was a, he's a he, potential future Hall of Famer. Um, Chad Johnson was, you know, just, it was just like the list kind of goes on and if I don't make that leap of faith, like I don't meet those people and I don't make those connections. They don't get to meet me. I don't get to meet them. And so that's where it's just like, you see, like you see the, the physical results. You also see just like the, the benefit of just going for something. You just meet so many people along the way. Same thing is like, I can't imagine if I never went to Clemson. I yeah. met so many of my best friends through Clemson, but, but it wasn't like for my journey, it wasn't a clear path. It wasn't like coach when Hey, you're offered here. You get to come here and play. It was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take a chance and bet on myself. And then looking back five, six years later, is I can't imagine my life if I didn't go for that. Same thing now is like, it seems crazy because it is crazy <laughs> for sure. But it's like, I know everything I'm going through right now is going to, is going to pay like, it's going to come back a hundredfold. What is your typical day like right now from wait from, <laughs> from waking up to, to when your head hits the pillow? All right. So I'll wake up. I try to get up kind of early, like six six forty five seven. I guess that's early. That's pretty good uh, for a guy your age. <laughs> yeah, I try, I try to get up. I try to read things in the morning. with my Bible. Uh, I read like 
I got a couple of books I'm trying to read, trying to be consistent. So trying to get up and read. I just try to clear my mind more. So I, I journal a lot. Um, I've been going to the chiropractor. <laughs> so I go to chiropractor at like 8.30. That's been a consistent thing. And then I go train. So I go to chiropractor, 8.30. I usually try to get some food in me. I don't know how people are. For breakfast, I can't, I can't eat a big breakfast before I go work out. Some people like that. So I try to eat a little breakfast. Uh, then I usually go work out at 10.30, a uh, place in Greenville. Uh, I, got, I got a trainer, DJ Johnson. He has a place in Greenville that I've been going to. Um, and then after that, my wife wakes up a little later than me. So usually by the time I'm back, we usually do lunch or something. Uh, and then I got, I have other business things I'm working on. Like I do kind of do social media. So I'll do some things for social media, make some content, do some brand deals. And then I have like some other business calls where they're like, like I want to do, I want to do media. So I got some things I do with that. Like whether I'm getting on a call like this or doing an interview or talking about how to bring, bring a project together and then I usually just try to hang out in the evenings, man. Do some dinner, go on a date or two, go see some friends. And then in the evening, I either like watch like I usually like watch something like interview, podcast, a movie. And then I'm in bed like 10 30, 11, and then really repeat. Uh do you do you uh, I mean you're obviously uh you're interested of course in building your brand on social media, but it also appears that you have a lot of appreciation for putting the phone aside and, and, and reading, um, sort of satisfying the spiritual and maybe educational elements uh, of, of your life. Do you have a, have you, has it been a lesson to you at all to, all right, I can only spend so much time scrolling Twitter or whatever, social media wise, yeah, sure. I have to turn it off. Otherwise my mind's going to be, it's going to have a negative effect on my brain. Yeah, I've learned from 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 error, like a lot of other people in life. I've learned from from that being the case, and so I think is I do see the benefit in social media. I think it's amazing the access and like the connectivity you can have in today's world, and and just personal branding. Like for me, like it was in the IL, but it's always always want to build a brand. Cause I want to get in the media, so it's just like it's been it's been a blessing. But at the same time, if it's just not like you don't have stuff with like boundaries or limitations it can definitely just be endlessly your mind could be racing. So I try to, we go, I try to go on walks, try to read. I try to like, if I'm on my phone, so, cause like sometimes I'm like, I'm my biggest thing. I always try to tell myself I'm not consuming too much. I'm not producing. Cause I like making mm. content. I like producing things. So that's how I try to like, cause I, you, it's a different feeling when you're producing content or producing like, like knowledge or producing something like, am I producing? Or am I just consuming? Cause when I'm consuming and I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Like I, I don't have anything else productive to do. That's when it's like it's definitely negative effect. Negative effect. But when I'm producing things on social media, I feel like it's a little better for me. What have you learned about the way people behave? Um, people in in a lot of cases who are way older than you. Um, the way they behave on on social media. Um, I mean, <laughs> you, you hear you hear like. <laughs> Twitter's there's the real world and the, and then there's the Twitter version of of the real world. What what do you have any observations from watching the way people <laughs> act and react uh, on social media? Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, I give you the good. I think so. The good part is you have you are you're able now more than ever before to connect with fans. 
Yeah. The bad part is you're able, you're able now more than ever to connect with fans. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like both ends. It's uh because it, it is it is really cool. I mean, you obviously see people who love to follow their favorite athletes and people they 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 see value in, whether that's like just an athletic component component or like a personal component. Well, they, they see value in the things you put out or things you you post. And so which is which is cool. And you get to interact and they and they get to follow you and you get to they get to support you however they see that however you give them opportunities to. The opposite is true. Like people, like there's no um there isn't really too many obstacles where people can just say negative things to you. They could just you could just openly get on get on your phone and put whatever you want out to the world and nobody really has any repercussions. And so that's so that that's that side. You obviously see I've seen some of my friends play bad and like you can see they get ripped apart on social media. Um and it's like you see that effect. So I think you you have to definitely be mentally tough and and some people's some people's um coping to that I, that part of like the social media space is to not post. But I feel like when I, when you do that, I feel like they let you let them you let them win. I don't know because because I think it just comes it, it comes with it. it comes with the territory. It's like the bigger your platform are, the more criticism you're gonna get, in my opinion. And so it's like you you benefit from it, but you also just gotta be tough whenever when when those things kind of come your way. But it, it definitely is weird and interesting, especially seeing the fan base react to certain things or bash a coach or a player that you actually got a lot of love and respect for. So if you, after we hang up, if you have some sort of profound thought you want to share with the masses on on Twitter or whatever, and you you make that post over the next two hours, how many times <laughs> do you check your do you check the? I'm, I'm assuming you have notifications on, maybe not, but how many times? How much? How how big is the urge to to go back and check to see what people are saying? How how many times do you do it over the next couple hours? Yeah, I don't have my notifications on because I thought that would drive me crazy. <laughs> uh, so it it depends. Like it depends. I remember this. It's, it's been different moments on social media. I remember like it's, these are moments that come to my mind. Remember, so in twenty twenty, whenever yeah. we had the, we, we want to play, movie, I remember posting that and like checking constantly. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going viral. Like, I remember like I could see the numbers like visibly growing. Like like this is nuts. Like this thing is taking off. And there's other times I'll just put something out knowing I'll look back in like a couple hours later on to see 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 who engaged with it, see see who said something. So it just depends. Like I definitely check it. I just want to see who responded. And sometimes you put out a thought and like how's it doing? Did it flop? <laughs> Did it do well? Sometimes I don't care. I just put out whatever. It 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 definitely varies depending on like one the urgency of what I'm saying and then what I'm saying. So. The the t- thinking back to the summer of twenty, it was so fascinating. It was like a almost like a case study of uh, fan behavior on social media. In that during the um, uh, dur- during the the, the March um, and all that, in the in the wake of of, of George Floyd, you had uh, a lot of folks who didn't want to hear it. Um, and he said, you know, right. you're here to play football. Just focus on, you know, uh, doing that. Right. Uh, but then <laughs> in August or whenever it was, I guess a month or two later, when you guys were using that same platform in the We Want to Play movement, it was, hey, yes, I totally agree. Uh, it was two totally – what it represented to me was um, – you know the mind of, of the minds of you guys is a lot more. The minds are a lot more complex and complicated than a lot of folks on the outside 
want to believe as they sort of put you in these these different boxes, I guess you could say. Is that does that resonate with you? You agree? Yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Some people that have war pads or the helmets have definitely given people uh, ammo to these stereotypes. Uh, you know, I ain't, I ain't gonna say every person wear that's wearing a helmet smart, <laughs> but <laughs> but. <laughs> I, I do I do think um, and more more so of recent because it's become like more so celebrated and appreciated like being more than an athlete I think you see the beauty of like people who play sports um, like we do have a brain we, we are more than just playing athletes we do care about other things we do support other things and so um, yeah I think sometimes like I think people especially when, it's, when, it, when this is their entertainment which it is like for a lot of people that's why so much money in it that's where so much money is in the NIL space because it's like you play a sport, it is entertainment to a, a mat to the masses. And I think anytime you interfere with somebody's entertainment, they want you to just continue to give them the enjoyment that they've been getting for you for so long. But then you as a human being, it's like, I understand I'm in the entertainment and I, and I have this platform, but I also am a human being, I have something to say. And I think the and I think there's, there's, but at the same time, like that, to that point, there's good ways and bad ways to say things. I think some people, uh, especially when it's a touchy topic, I think some athletes can could not articulate their words in a good way. They could come out bad to people. And I think there's sometimes you can you can say things in a, in a way that's more appealing to people. And sometimes the fans just don't care. Sometimes they're just ignorant. So that's that's also the case too. And so I feel like from from my from my standpoint, like I've always tried to articulate things in a way that I try to see everybody's point of view also st- still stand on what I believe in and I feel like I've had a lot I didn't say a lot of success but I feel like I, I've had success in our uh putting my beliefs out there so I think people can understand that like my perspective and I'm also respecting theirs if they like have a reasonable thought like because I, I I get someone I always try to look out for the bears like why is somebody thinking the way they're thinking it's obviously not I don't think they're just dumb but I mean they, they think this way for some reason whether I agree with it or not um and so, yeah, that's kind of like my thoughts on all that. But it, it was a definitely interesting space because, like you said, I think when it, it the ties definitely turned when I when it was more in favor of somebody's entertainment than it was for somebody's human human morals. One of the interesting things about that time, and I guess about this time too, but 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 mainly about that time was you had adults that were on social media just tearing each other apart. Um tearing you guys apart in a lot of cases and making a public issue of this. Um, but yet within the walls of the, of, of that football program and other football programs elsewhere, obviously with 120 something players and un, an untold number of staffers as well, you're going to have the same differences of opinion. You're going to have, you know, that exist outside the walls of that football building. But you guys Correct. managed to get through it, to to resolve those differences privately, and then to to love each other. Um, right. And yet, the people it was the adults in the room, uh, sort of, so to speak, who who couldn't manage to show much love, I guess. And it was you know tearing each other apart on one side or the other. What lessons did you take from that? And did that uh, did that strike you as well during that time that that a bunch of college kids were seemed to be in some cases behaving more like the adults in the room. Yeah, I think 
I think the older you get, the more afraid you become a change. And I think anybody who's making change, you have to be able to adapt and be open to change. I think whenever you're not, I think that's what makes it hard for for the right thing to kind of sometimes prevail or for the for like the most unifying thing to like to be successful. If that makes sense. So it's like in that instant, um, I think mean, a lot of people are just stuck in their ways in a sad in a sad way. And I think as a young person, you kind of you got a lot of like you've lived a lot of life. At the same time, you see the future, and it's like you don't want to be this, and so you just in a way you you kind of have a lot of energy just because you're young and then you you're passionate and i think when you put them to good use i think you have the right components um to kind of to kind of make to kind of make a uh to make a stand in a good way i will say for me the success i had in those moments came from the wisdom of older people and so i think i've seen a lot of i saw not seen i saw um i saw a lot of people fail they were trying to have a voice in that time when there wasn't like real older counsel they were seeking. Like they kind of got hot or had like a, a moment there too, but you didn't really see any true like change or success come out of that time or they, they couldn't even execute what they were trying to do because they were just so fired up and, but there was no direction. I think for me, even though during that time and throughout my time at Clemson, I, there's a moments you have to move kind of swiftly to get something done. I think I always had to really seek out older counsel. And I feel that's kind of where you see the generations kind of marry together as far as like how it should be. You got the you got the energy and the passion of young people, but you got the counsel and the wisdom and the direction of older people. If you can marry those two things, I think that's when good things happen. I think everything that happened in Clemson to me was kind of the the um, the connection or collaboration of those two things. I think anytime it was the opposite, it was like anytime there's young people who didn't listen to older people, nothing happened. Anytime there was older people who would listen to younger people, nothing happened. Anytime there's collaboration amongst the generations, I think that's when good things happen. Well, wh- whose counsel did you seek from some of those? Who, who were some of those older voices? Um, Jeff Davis, Coach Sweeney, Woody McCorvey, Graham Neff, um, Dan Radakovich, and C- Coach Elliott was huge in my ear in that time. And then I would say, like, a lot of people from my mentors or church figures I grew up with that are respected in the area. Um, guy, I was Riley Cummings uh, was, was was instrumental for me. Uh, and a former, former Clemson player who's done a lot in the space, Dante Stewart was really good. Off the top of my, there's probably more people I could think. But off the top of my, top of my head, got, and a guy named Dan Leanne. All, those, all the top of my head, those, those are all people that, like, really have shaped my mind, I feel like, the past years. And they were, they were helpful especially in those urgent times to make decisions and help things kind of move and make sense. I thought they all try to get, they all helped me like kind of foster, like not, uh, they all helped me to kind of like, uh, sharpen my thoughts to where, where I said something that kind of not only was it viewed because I had a platform or was playing ball. It was also like, it was also respected because it made sense. You know, can you share more about deciding to, 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 to pick the brains of Dan Radakovich and, and Graham Neff, the AD, uh, then AD, and the then deputy AD. What what did you learn? What were those conversations like? What was what was uh, what, what's memorable about about those conversations? I remember calling Graham like we're, we're, me and Graham. Was, that's why I was so happy to see him become AD. Is because my respect for him during especially during twenty twenty time was so immense because because Dan was. 
because during that time, like Mr. Radakovich was so busy because he was on, on that front. And Graham obviously was with them. They also had a little more margin to talk. I was like, dude, tell me what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so we, 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 were both, we were both just be going back and forth. But he would help me really um, understand like how people in power were, were, were thinking. Because at the end of the day, like, like from that moment, you saw the social pressure of young people. Because that's how you, th- you see things go viral, which, put, which puts pressure in a good way on people making decisions. Because obviously we were, we, none of us were in power to make those decisions. So whether we were going to play or not, whether things are going to change, it was more so like we knew we had the platforms to speak out on it, which would then create a narrative that hopefully would work in our favor. And that's what happened. And so Graham really was instrumental in helping me understand what was going on behind the scenes of the people that were making decisions. And that's how it allowed me to articulate our message as a unified front to college football during that time. I was like, hey, here's how we need to, here's what we need to project to the world, like what needs to happen. And then it was it worked out, and so uh, man, those those guys were instrumental during that time. And Clemson played the biggest part in, in that 2020 season, along with some of the people across the country. But like our program and our university was instrumental. What did you learn about the head coach Dabo Sweeney during the summer of 20, uh, including when he stood up in front of that crowd at Bowman Field um, and 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 gave some. Uh, pretty memorable uh, testimony. You said, what did I learn? Yeah, what did you learn about the head coach? That was a trying, that was a really difficult summer yeah, for him. Yeah, for him. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know if I learned anything as much as it solidified what I already thought, he, who I thought he was. And And I say that because, like, a lot, like a lot of people, I came to Clemson. I grew. I'm from the area. I, I've always seen him as uh, a man of high character, a man who 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 cares about things beyond a game of football, but obviously uses the game of football as his way of teaching young men and being a good role model to the public and to the masses. And that's a big reason why I wanted to come to Clemson because of the culture he built. And so during that time, I think his character was definitely tested. Um, like never before because all the things that were put out and said about him um, and then just the way our program was kind of on the hot seat and so I, I mean he probably I'll be saying that was one of the most one of the most trying times of his coaching career I would think just from a, from me from my perspective and so I think it just showed him and he's um, I feel like like, like the, the quote says you, you, you see a man's true character not when things are going well but when things are going bad I think that's what what I saw and what the Clemson family, the, our football team saw, which made me have that much more respect for him. And then at the same time, I think the thing I did learn is like he's human, like anybody else. I think sometimes, even from my perspective, like as a player, like you put you put people on pedestals, and some people obviously belong to you. They are like on a platform, but then like Coach Swing was human, and he made some mistakes. But like I said, like I think his character is what prevailed to me. And that's where, like, I feel like he's forever good in my book. And just see, and, and also seeing, man, how much he supported us during that time as a, as a football coach, but as just as a man in general. Like, he really supported everything we had going on, made sure we had all the resources we could have to, to make the biggest impact in that, in that time. And so and I think you, you saw how, man, the Clemson football program, it is built to win games, but also built to produce good men. And I feel like you really have seen that over 
especially throughout my career, just like five or six, five or six years I was there, which was the height of it, like winning two national championships, but also like really being a forefront of change within that college football realm in every way. The, the thing, I guess the one thing that stands out to me is I try to recall that, that things were said about him. Shannon Sharp, I think it was. I mean, straight out called him a racist, I believe. Um, I could be giving that. Uh, there were others. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what is that? I mean, what is that like? That's your coach. Um, you've already seen yeah, it. You're, you're, you said he's not perfect. He's not always going to say the right thing. He, he made his share of mistakes maybe in some of the things. Uh, he maybe didn't word perfectly, but I'm just curious within the within the program, what is that like to see your coach um, about whom you have your own convictions and, and beliefs about the man he is and the character he has? That as a national lightning rod during a truly tumultuous time uh, in our country uh, with racial unrest and, and 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 things of the like. Yeah, it was definitely tough. And I think for me, like I, I always see trying to bring solutions to the problems is definitely tough. A, a lot of my teammates who look like me, uh, just seeing our coach get bashed like that because then it, it paints as you as person who condones those allegations. It's like none of us are like none of us ever came to Clemson or stayed at Clemson if we thought Coach Lee was that type of person. And so, um, and I, I think, yeah, no, like I, like I said, it, it was tough. And for me, knowing who he is, knowing the character he has, I, I really felt like a great burden to like, and knowing how, how good our program is. And and the, and the reason that someone, he got the backlash he got was because he wanted to make, and obviously judging how the reaction and response, like maybe he didn't say the right things, but his heart was pure on all, all those things. Like he could have wrote a generic statement like a lot of coaches did and just brushed it off and just kept it pushing. But I think the, even the attempt to, to do more it backfired, and I feel like a big thing in my heart was to really show the true culture and the true character of the people of Clemson. And I think that's what happened. And so, and yeah, I think, but because I, I think it's different. It's one thing to get like, because obviously Coach Williams outspoken, especially about his faith and everything. It's one thing for people not to agree with you, but it's one thing for people to just think to to not respect you. And I, th- right. I think that that was the thing. That was the thing that was most at stake during that time was it because it went beyond disagreeing with what you got going on it was that people were actually losing respect for what was go- what, the people there and what was going on and I think that's where uh, I felt a deep burden to like really figure out some solutions to like to show the world like man this is like I don't know to just do the right thing and be right, be about the right things which I feel like that's what Clemson really was and is and as long as he's there I feel like we'll forever be as the team privately is going through a lot of difficult conversations uh, during that summer. What was the hardest obstacle to get past um, as you guys eventually, uh, you know, concluded and resolved, hey, we, we love each other regardless of our differences of opinions. What was the hardest part of, of, of moving forward uh, that summer? Um, I think just the tough conversations especially with some of the things we, we, we rolled out. Cause you remember like, we had the, the stickers on the helmets. We had like the uh, different words yep. on the back of our names that that one game. And just, just the idea, like just cause somebody doesn't want to do what you do or, dis- or doesn't do exactly like you doesn't make them a bad person. And so I think that really, I, and, and it, 
And because in some ways I understood people's thoughts, some people, and just really having to be able to listen to everybody because um, a lot of people have, diff- have different thoughts. And I think when you actually listen to them and not, uh, you're not listening to respond or listen to actually understand. And then you, you, I think a lot of people were able to learn the different things about our teammates like never before, because that was a time where it was just like, we, we, we weren't going to play football until everybody knew where everybody stood <laughs> on some of these issues. <laughs> and that's really what it came down to. So it was like, all right, like speak your mind. And, and I think that a lot of people were, had empathy like never before. And a lot of people were educated like never before. And I think it really brought that team as close together. Like it would have been amazing to see that team win a national championship, but it just wasn't in, in, in the plans. But that would be forever one of my, my favorite teams to be on. Out of the hundred and something players, how, how many, what percentage would you say Ballpark actually stood up and, and spoke during that time, gave their sort of testimony? Yeah, I mean, background? Had, I'll say everybody, because I mean, we had like a little round table one time before we did the protest with the team, because I, I didn't want to do it. Well, we, we didn't want to do anything like outwardly before we had an inwardly inward conversation. Because at first we had we had like a senior meeting where we had like a big it wasn't big like a small like it's all the seniors and coach Sweeney and his family, but we just had like a little therapy session. It seemed like everybody got the voice like kind of speak their mind in a safe space, and that's what requ- that's what's required. Like even now, I think there's not spaces for people to get the anger out. There's not there's not spaces for people to rightly get out their um, their faults or misunderstandings with something. I think it was a safe space for both people. Some people to get educated. Some people to vent. And so, um, so we, we did that at his house, and we did it with the team. And so, I think everybody everybody said something. I, I wasn't able to listen to every single person, but I knew everybody spoke out on what they what they thought, what they believed, and had like it was an open dialogue. The most unforgettable, um, what was the most unforgettable and profound thing you heard during those uh, conversations? And you don't even you don't have to identify the person if you don't want to but the most the thing that still sticks with you the, the one person whose whose story um uh, still resonates as i open is being really eye-opening yeah there was a guy on that team i remember this really like opened my eyes especially as a, as a young as a black man this is a, this is a, a white guy he said uh and <laughs> it was no surprise to me that like it, he's, he's actually one of my good friends on the team it was not surprise me like the story, but it was just crazy because it's like it was his reality. Uh, he he never he never like he never really interacted with a black person until he was twelve years old, mm. and so and it really shaped him as a young person because he didn't really know how to interact. And obviously, that like if that's the case, and like it, was, it wasn't by happenstance, you know, it was kind of like some uh, maybe his parents or the way he grew up just didn't allow was he wasn't around many black people, and so definitely shaped his mind around how black people act or how they should how, or what, or who they are and so for him to open up and kind of say that, say some of the things that like and he's being honest like this is the way he thought growing up and then throughout college and high school be having interactions with black people like his perception had to change because he was like this is no this isn't right and so when he opened up opened up about that it really opened my mind to what like man like you see like we don't come into the world like we don't come into the world knowing a lot of these things to hate people, but just like if you're not careful as a parent or like as a guardian, you can like you really can foster things that shouldn't be fostered. But on the flip side is like I think 
you think about the youth of this country or people or young people, it's like you have opportunities to shape their minds. And I, that's why I hope I'm a good example to people, younger people and people in general, just like uh, somewhat how to do the right thing. I ain't perfect, but just like I want to be a good role model. And so that, that, that really that really like resonated, like it was stuck to my mind, like really I was like, man, that's crazy. That was his reality. And through that conversation, he opened up about it for like the first time ever, which is special. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. What do you, how do you assess this current state of college athletics with mainly talking about NIL and the portal? Obviously, you believe in player empowerment. You believe in NIL. Um, but this, this thing, I think you probably also agree. I think you actually tweeted this a a month or so ago. Something, I I, I forgot the precise wording, but basically you said, yeah, Dabo basically predicted this and all y'all thought he was crazy. Something to that effect. Can you uh, maybe clarify that? Yes. Um, I think a lot of these things aren't mutually exclusive. I think people try to pit them against each other. Mm -hmm. Like I, I believe like once again, my my opinion has been shaped by my own eagerness and passion to feel like we need to change some things, but also hearing from older people who who've seen things play out longer than I have. And so I feel like I've tried to find that there's a middle ground. I try to like, I think it's safe to live it, or not safe to live. I think it's wise to live it. And so for me, I think it's long overdue to, for college athletes to get to be able to, to make money beyond a scholarship stipend yep. because there is so much money that is being made by university, by coaches, by everybody involved in college football, along with everything that comes with like all these brands that benefit from college football games. Like how many commercials run through a college football game? How many, how many commercials run through a a national championship game? Like there are so many people making money besides the athletes. And And you you can see see, now, like I, 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 I hate interrupting. 
but you can even feel it at a game <laughs> when when there's a TV timeout after like one play or after a kickoff and right. you hear 80,000 fans groan. It's like it totally kills the rhythm of a game. Anyway, go ahead. But but money's got to be made. People, right. people are making millions, hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of dollars off this off this game. And then the people that are actually producing the entertainment are being limited to the money they can make. And so I think it's amazing. Like, I, I wish I, I wish I had more years of it. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be on the back end trying to help guys figure it out. But, um, and even for a guy like me who wasn't like a, a, star, a star, like a player on the, like him on the field, I was like, I was able to benefit greatly from NIL. from just having a platform, you know, to understand business and social media is like, you really see it's, it's, a, it's like the American dream is like, so now like, I'm going to say this first. I'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, NIL, I think it's amazing that players can make money. And I think there is, like, not in a way, like, the whole the whole Saban, Jimbo Fisher thing, not in that, not in the collective, like, that way, but actual way where you have, um, you have value to businesses to where you can exchange of services, whether that's you making content or you making an appearance, you signing autographs, you're doing a signing, whatever it is. You have you have a provi- you have, you have value that you can provide to people in the business, in order in order and there's an exchange of money there, and so I think and the, and the guys are making so much money and nobody else is suffering from it. That's the thing that makes me. That's the thing I know is long overdue is because guys are making whether it's five thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, and you still making your same amount of money. There's so <laughs> much money to go around. Like Coach Swinney ain't losing no money from somebody else making some money. It's like he getting his money. He getting his money. And I thought that's the beauty of you see the power of like what what was going on. Like the reason all these kids are getting that much money is because that's the value that 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 college football has. Like if something wasn't valued that much money, you wouldn't be getting that much money. The value of college football is immense. And so you see the now when you actually can put a monetary value to like what these what these guys are providing for people and for brands and businesses, it's like that's amazing. Get as much money as you can. But on the other side of that, I do understand um, some of like the the hiccups with the NIL, with like, um, which I think is going to change because potentially that the new law is coming where, you know, athletics might be able to to be able to 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 help out with NIL deals now coming in July. Yeah, there's gonna, yeah, it's going to be a merge of everything, which is, that's going to be really interesting. But up to this point, because it'll be legal to do so many things that people are doing. Because then it's, it's kind of been somewhat pay for play, which I don't know how I feel about that. Um, because, like, NIL, the reason NIL is an exchange of services. So, like, for me, like, if somebody wants to pay me X amount of dollars, hey, make a TikTok and make an Instagram story. And you're going you're gonna to pay me X amount of dollars. I'm exchanging something to mine for money. But when you promise a kid, if you come here with no exchange of services, I'm going to promise you a million dollars. That's just a new way to pay kids, you know? <laughs> yeah, honestly, and so that's where like a lot of these hiccups come from these bigger schools being able to like kind of. I ain't accusing anybody of nothing, but you know what I'm saying. That's kind of been some of the allegations that have been against some of these people. Like y'all are just manipulating the system. This is this isn't nil. This is pay for play. And so, so yeah, that hopefully all that made sense. So I see yeah. both sides. And I also see the hiccups of some some people manipulating the system. And that's just it. You know, a year ago at this time. It was, you know, as NIL first came into being, it was, 
uh, a lot of folks, uh, you know, were saying, oh, it's just, you know, some free burgers or autographs, you know, car dealership, you know, uh, an exchange right. of, of um, you know, you using your, your name and, and, and brand in exchange for promoting a, a restaurant or, uh, or something like that. And I don't think the vast majority of people, I don't think I have a problem with that in as that is defined, <laughs> if it's defined by only that. But now we have, you know, like you said, it's straight up pay for play and, it, it it just seems I, I don't I don't know what the effects you know I spoke to former uh, thirty former Clemson football players for a series of articles we did uh, earlier this summer and a lot of them including ones who would have made a lot of money in NIL like Woody Dantzler you know guys who maybe weren't cut out for the NFL but who were superstars at the at the college level they wonder what the that type of money is going to do to the head and the ability to transfer right away is going to do to the brains of, of still developing men, uh, 18, 19, 20 year olds. I kind of shuddered to think of what, what it would have done to my mind when I was 20 years old. If you just handed me a hundred thousand dollars, I, I would not have handled it well. I promise you that. Do you see the, do you agree with that? You, you sort of worried about uh, the minds of some of these some of these young kids and what a pay-for-play system would do, or is that maybe too old-fashioned to, to, to use that as a as a fear or a criticism? No, I think it's valid. I think it's it's also one of those things where there's no going backwards now. Yeah, like the NCAA can't come out and say uh, NIL is over because <laughs> that that will that that ain't happening. Look at the pants suit <laughs> off. That, that that just like people would not play like literally See, seeing now what you can do with a college football player and the the, the opportunities out there like you, it, there's so there's there's just no going backwards that that's just that's in the story so now it's like all right that that is a maybe a fair criticism but it's like how long can you live in that state I feel like you have to go to the mindset of like you can't there's no leading in the absence of it anymore how do you lead through it. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no thinking about like, man, like this kid, a kid with a hundred thousand dollars, how will he handle it? No, the kid has a hundred thousand dollars, if not more money. Some of these five star recruits that are coming to school, they're go, they're gonna make that much money. So how are you gonna help them? Hey, because you know what I'm saying, it, yeah. it can't be. Yeah. So the mindset has to shift, shift has to shift to where like how how can we give this kid resources and help for them to for them to not waste the money and. Man, like, look, first time you get some money, some they gonna you definitely gonna waste it. Some of it, that's just that just comes with the game. But to say it's hopefully you can give kids resources to where they can start saving, investing, uh, putting it away, putting it towards things that they 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 care about or things that can help them in the long run. So that's kind of where to me the leadership of college football has to to get towards. I think it's, it has to go because it's no longer if it's like all right, it's it, it is like these kids are gonna have this much money. I know, I know people. <laughs> who made that much money this year and it's only going to continue to grow. So how do you help them manage that? If we are indeed headed toward pay for play, if we're not already there in your mind, what does that do um, uh, to the future uh, of Dabo Sweeney's coaching career that he said, he said it himself <laughs> a few years uh, ago. All right, let, let me, let, let me, let me, so here, here's, I want to say this. I think, okay. So, 
I think the whole notion of pay for play. I don't. I don't know. I don't. That's, it's gonna. I'm still torn because I, I still think it's, it's like. Now you, look, look. I'm yeah. I'm not going. I'm not going to sugar. Yeah, it honestly is getting to, like to that point. But that's kind of nil is, was is that like? But it's not like nil just shows your social value to people with that, and that's how they perceive it. Like whatever. Some of some of what's coming down the line. I'm not gonna lie. It, it probably is some of that, but I don't think it's wrong. Like right. If you if you don't want that to happen, make call, then turn off all the turn off the TVs. Turn off all the advertising. Turn off all the business that brings the city. Because I don't I don't know how you how you can't like what and what other organization of business that the people the people that are doing it don't do not get paid. That's it would be yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not going. It will be there will be some type of labor like strike. And obviously, yeah. it is a benefit. Like there are like don't get me wrong. There are lots of benefits to being a being a student athlete before NIL before all this stuff. Like obviously, you get, you get your school paid for. You, you like. But you know what I'm saying? That's like that's like having that's like some somebody saying they're gonna pay you in health benefits but not give you no money. It's like, yeah, that is something that's something that's something I appreciate. And it is something that I like think will it's an expense that I don't have to pay. But at the same time, I'm where is the money? <laughs> like where is the I wanna see the physical, like like what am I tangibly getting? Not what you like what you say is getting written off. And so like I don't want I don't wanna be like it really missed because a lot of people, a lot of people are saying like, Yo, y'all were getting so much already. Yes, we were for sure. You, you got, you get food, you get travel, you get, you know, so you get so much before NIL, but at the same time, there's so much out there that was still being limited. And so now it's like, man, who are you to say? Like, like I used to now join my friends about this NIL thing. Like, all right, when people, when people paint things, it's like, if it's a crappy painting and I think it's worth nothing. Cool. But who is somebody else to say this is worth a million dollars? Make it like that is that's literally that is like you know what I'm saying that isn't a cap less capitalism like you can make what you make. So now it's like if somebody thinks a college athlete isn't worth this, but somebody else is like, hey, this kid's worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, who like who 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 am I to say he's not? Like who, who if somebody's willing to give that person that much money, who am I to say he's not worth that much money? If not more. Or less, and so I just think it's interesting. I think it's people are going to have to figure out a way to lead through it because you see, like, like I was saying, like there's there's enough money out there, and I think the reason it's such a it's the reason people are trying to figure out a way to pay these players so much money is because you see the value they are within the whole grand ecosystem of college football. If if, people, if the players want that weren't that valuable, there'd be no discussion of nil, no discussion over potentially pay for play. But the players are that valuable to the whole thing because if you don't have the players, you don't. Nothing happens, and so, I mean, there, there, there's gonna be college football players gonna make more money in the in college than they will make in the league. Fact. Yeah. Write it down. <laughs> there gonna be players who make more money in their four years in college and they ain't making it whatever since they get in the college in their, in, their, in their NFL career unless they sign unless they're a first round pick or sign a, a big second contract. And I don't think that's wrong because there's a lot of money being made in college football. Like there's a lot of money being made in the NFL. So. Have you I don't in- know. It's gonna be it's gonna, it's gonna be interesting. Like, because I'll, I'll say his last thought. Then hit me with that next question. Because a lot of money raised, a lot of money given has gone to facilities. Yeah, and gone to things like that. So if you go, if you start paying players, 
Like there's only as, as much money as, as to make. There's only so much money to go around that people are willing to give to things. And so it's like it's gonna be interesting because you see the NFL. The NFL has big stadiums, but they don't have they don't have indoor Allen Reed's football facilities unless you're the Cowboys. Like most of these facilities aren't these grand things. That's because the they players are getting paid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, and so, I, I, I just—it's gonna be interesting, man. Like, I don't know. I, like, I don't. I don't know what I think. I'm learning. I'm thinking. I'm like. I feel like everybody's building this airplane in the air. It's like you gotta <laughs> just figure. You gotta figure it out. So I don't know. I don't trust the pilot. Anyway, uh, if Davo Sweeney were on this call, he he would have. He would have uh, y'all would have had a spirited debate on what you just said over the last four or five minutes. Have y'all had? I'm guessing y'all have had you and you and Dabo have had spirited yeah. debates on this. Yeah. And I mean, all right. So I think people take a lot of things that he says out of context. I, so Coach Sweeney's biggest thing, and I still stand by this. I think there is value in education. That's that's one of his people keep yeah. twisting his words. A lot of what he's saying is, please incentivize continue to celebrate education because in a day like some of these kids aren't going to make as much money some of these kids will make much as this much money but you need to get your education and i, and I think that's that's what he would i think mean, knowing coach Swinney, that's what he would definitely inter- interject but he's learning how and like all the college coaches, they learn how to navigate this space because it is new and it's like i don't i don't think coach is going anywhere uh i think his biggest thing like like he's advised a lot of things. It's like, man, like Coach Swinney's gonna play by the rules. As the rules change, he'll learn how to play again. But like he predicted a lot of these 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 things. What I'm saying, like as far as like some of the pay for play that's already happened. Like he, I don't think Coach Swinney, he was he was not against nil. He was against some of his pay for play stuff, which is like now you're promising kids money with no exchange of services. And so, and that's where like you see the, the saving. <laughs> Uh, debacle kind of happened is because like he's mad that people are doing that. Yeah, and they're they're saying they're saying it's nil, but is it? You know. So that, that, then, but is there any rule to say is there any rule to say it's not nil? And that's the problem right now. Right. Is either say either let it be or you need to put some type of regulations on what's going on. So the part I think Dabo's best argument that gets lost is the education part and in the national conversation i hear too many people saying just totally dismissing the value of a scholarship and the value of an education they say that's just bunk you know that train's left the station that that yeah tutors taking classes for all that stuff and i i believe he's genuine in that and i believe the 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 vast majority of, of of kids who get a degree, man, they look back and they treasure that, and they're able to say, "I got something out of that." Like, and, and I'm t- t- I'm tied to this place forever. Yeah, and and so, and I don't think it should necessarily. I don't think we should discuss it in terms of okay, what is the value of Darian Rancher's scholarship? Like, what was the value of the tuition and books? And room and board, See, it, it hey, should be exponentially beyond that because twenty years from now, whatever you do to use that degree, it's going to be worth so much more. I would imagine right. than what was actually p- 
paid like the equivalent yeah. you know, you see what i'm saying like for me i've been yeah uh, I, I graduated college in the late 90s i don't know how much my parents spent on it i got out loans and all kinds of other stuff but let's just say it was fifty thousand dollars total it's not worth fifty thousand dollars to me 20 24 years later it's worth i don't know many 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 times that just because of my use of my education right yeah i think that's where Dabo's coming from and uh and i think you know that too i'm not saying that to counter anything you said but the vast majority of guys are going to need that degree that you know um and when they're in the portal with nowhere to go and even the ones who do land at another spot the difficulty of all the transferable credits and all that stuff how many of those guys are going to graduate you know yeah. So here, here's not to say that I think so. So the problem with the pay for play thing, just like an NFL guy, NFL guys get paid a lot of money. So a lot of things that you get in college are not provided to you because they don't have, they don't have money to pay for them. They're paying you. So like you look at like how, how, how treasured and how appreciated this, the facility is at Clemson. The facilities is like, if you go too far in a pay for play, then like some of that's going to get it cut out. Yeah. And then if you start paying too much, like that's where I think some education needs to be had too. Is like the reason you're able to have scholarships is people are giving money to the university to help you have scholarships. There are people fundraising money each year to have enough money to fund the scholarships of the university through athletics. So then if you start paying players too much money to come and play, then are you going to be able, like you said, which I think is brilliant, is like, are you even going to be, are kids going to have to start paying for scholarships because they get all the money? Like that, and that, that's where it's kind of because like the, there's only so much money to go around in in, in the fundraising space. Like, you know, to to a college talent, like the money's coming from somewhere, but it's only so much money to go around. And that's where that's where it's got to be some type of like regulation because it, it can get scary because you get so much people are like, all right, I'm writing this check to Clemson, and now whether that goes to the player or whoever, <laughs> I'm just how much money I'm giving. I'm, and and so now it's like you have the pressure. Well, I got to pay these players. That also got to build facilities. Yeah, it's like so. How are you? How are you gonna? I don't. It's gonna be interesting seeing how you balance those things, especially there's no reg, no regulations to all that. And that's where I think the NCAA can help. Is like there has to be some type of regulations because it, it can just. I don't know. It can it just, it was turned to like a, it can, it can turn to amateur league, but I think you still want to protect the, the beauty of college football. So I think players should be able to make money, and how much money that is. Hey, I'm not capping nobody's money. I've seen people make money. But there has to be some type of like, how do you maintain the beauty of college sports? Do you? And so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I ain't got the answers. I just got the thoughts. I ain't got the answers. <laughs> That's the same as me. <laughs> do you agree? Uh, I mean, there's the, there's the criticism of the, the previous system was uh, exploited athletes. Um, that my belief is more that man the previous system i don't know if you want to call it amateurism whatever i mean there's some folks who say it's been semi-pro for a long time but the previous system pre-nil pre-portal in my opinion at least the players got a pretty good deal um do you agree or disagree uh both yeah i agree and disagree I, i mean i agree because like you only know what you know, you know? <laughs> I mean, I got the best experience that was provided to a college athlete. I went to Clemson. 
I earned a scholarship. I was on full ride. I got a stipend check. I I played national champion. You know, I, I had a great experience. Yeah, but then it's like once you see this more opportunity out there, which NIL does, then that gauges how my experience was. Like <laughs> I said, I wish I could go back and have four years of NIL, um, because of the one year I had. And so, um, I think I think it it was good, but like things things have to change and evolve as like as things change and evolve. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think it was terrible. I, I think it was I think it was the best of you got the best that was uh, that was that was afforded to you with the limitations that were that were put on you. And now that some of those limitations have been pu- peeled back to where you see there is more opportunity out there for the for the, for the college athlete. Do you uh, you have any any opinion on the transfer portal? Should there be a one year? Once you sign up, yeah. should there be? I mean, I, I, I ain't gonna lie. Tell me how many questions you got, so I can gauge my, some of my some of my answers. I mean, I'm gonna give you two. I got. <laughs> we, we can go whenever you whenever you need to go. We can we can cut it off whenever. All right, give you five, two more minutes. That's great, man. Sure. All right. Um, my idea, my thoughts on the transfer port. Are you are you gonna chop this up? It's gonna be a long thing for people to listen. You should chop it up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe do like, like a part one, part two. Maybe so. I'm, it's I'm it's usually about an hour. I'm sorry to it. it it's uh, no, you're good. You're it usually good. lasts a while. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure you're good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Oh, no, this is great. My thoughts on transfer portal. Yep. Is that okay? Um, somebody asked this question yesterday. Uh, my thoughts on the transfer portal are just like nil. There's, there's pros and cons to it. I think. I think there's been situations, especially especially at Power Five schools, that recruit a lot of guys at the same position, knowing they can only play so many guys at that position. Is is like there are situations where I feel like guys can go leave and get a better opportunity, whether that's going uh, higher to a bigger school or same level school or going to a lower level school to, 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 than the one they were at. I think there 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 was there was benefit in leaving, and but the reluctancy always was. That if I leave, I gotta sit out, which I thought was wasn't the best because it it did help with the decision making sometimes because it, it like really made sure you want to leave, but at the same time I think it wasted some time. But so that that's the that was the downfall and pitfalls of that. So I think the upside was like you really you really had to really process through whether you, whether you really want to leave or not because you you were making a decision that was gonna have some type of setback to it. But you thought that the there was more to gain and to lose and you leaving that school. Or you can just go lower and not miss out. Yep. Now the pitfall and the benefit now is like there are guys, a guy like Ches, I think Chesman Lucy is is one of the biggest pros to the mm-hmm. transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Because you got a stack running back room that is trying to find their place once Travis leaves. You got a lot of people deserving reps. You got two. You got one ball. Too many guys to give it to, and it's like, and you see our running back room last year, like Lynn J. Lee's. We got four guys getting carries, and it's like, and it worked out. But I, it was a fifth guy. It, 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 I feel like it worked out the way it's supposed to work out. But a guy like Chez, he sees the situation. He's able to leave swiftly. He goes to Wisconsin, and before he got hurt, was having one of the best seasons in college football as a running back. And it's like that don't happen in the previous transfer rules. But then you also see the negative effects. You got thousands of kids in the transfer portal just because they they're mad and they don't want to they don't want to like I can say all of them are mad, but some a lot a strong majority aren't trusting the process of what they went to. They just want something quick. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's it's tough. And that's that's that that is the pitfall. Look, I got as much people hate, hate on NCAA. I got as much respect for some people sometimes because like no matter what you do, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, it's gonna be pros and cons of what you're doing. It's never gonna be hundred percent accurate and hundred percent agreeable for everybody. Is that there's gonna be so because I, I, I don't know what what, do you, what would you do to the transfer rules to make it to help it now? Like would you <laughs> make a kid write a paper? Like how bad you want to leave? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't I don't know what what do you what do you do? How do you tell? How do you like? Obviously, as a coach, you can kind of see whether a kid this is this kid's leaving in a, in a respectable way or not a respectable way. But it's like, how do you how do you write those rules that way? I don't know. Like I said, I got the thoughts. I don't know if I got yeah. the answers. All right, you were Clemson. I know, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm done. I, I was I, no. All I was saying is like, I think it's a case by case thing. Um, I think the rule is beneficial. But like I was saying earlier, I think a lot of these, people, a lot of these kids make make these decisions without without wise counsel in their ears. That's my opinion. You were at Clemson a long time, uh, six years. You saw a lot of great football players. Best player you played against that you, that you saw on the other side of the field, and the best player that was in your locker room. Lamar Jackson got to be up there. <laughs> <laughs> Holy oh Holy. man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lamar Jackson got got to be up there. Yeah. Um, Burrow. And so. Uh, yeah, uh, Lamar. <laughs> but you, you you said one, so I uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a I, I, you, you said up Lamar, there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So yeah. So Lamar is probably the one, and then along. With some other notable guys, I think Joe Burrow was was incredible. Jamar Chase was that was a, seeing him seeing him live was incredible. He was really good. Um, then I go back to like Dalvin Cook, my freshman year, it oh, was man. crazy. Yeah, he he was really special. Um, what else have we played? Justin Fields was really good. Um, defensively, Chase Young was pretty special. That and Alabama then, defense in 16 in Tampa. Yeah, seeing uh-huh. Ruben Foster in person was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then just thinking about maybe the Bama team at 18, who was on that team. Um, man, they had a lot of good guys on that team. Like, Minka Fitzpatrick was special. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the list is it's a long list. But no, yeah. Definitely Lamar. Dalvin, Joe, Jamar Chase, Chase Young. That's a that's not a bad five. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's not now, a bad five. Uh, inside Clemson's locker room. Um two the two definites are Deshaun and Trevor. Mm-hmm. Those are two of the most special di- different in their abilities, but as far as like just being a a gifted person and putting it all together, those two are special. Um, then beyond that, seeing Travis being like having a front row seat to that for four years uh, was insane. One of the best college football players that ever. Not even I've seen. It. He's one of the best college football players ever. Like that, just <laughs> he was special, man. Put the ball in his hands, he could make crazy things happen. He just found a way to get to the end zone and make big plays. So I think I think if I think of those three guys, then along some of those other people. Um, 
there's a lot of good players. I'm just thinking about guys who just are freaks. I don't know. Because I think about some guys, even guys that got drafted high, like I'm not going – they were really good players, but I don't know if they were just like – those three guys I just named are literally arguably <laughs> some of the best ever. Because mm-hmm. some of the guys that get drafted high, they're good football players. I, I would classify them as best players ever. You know what I'm saying? Maybe at our university. But th- those three guys can go down – you put anybody <laughs> from any school and you can put them in a pot for – and you, you get one quarterback in the last 20 years to play with. You get one running back last 10 years to play with. And those guys might get picked half the time, yeah. <laughs> if not more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, those three, those three guys, oh, my Lord, man, were special. And then I'm trying to figure out who, who I even think is capable of adding to that. Like, um, man, Mike it? Williams is special. Yeah. Mike Williams is special. I think T. Higgins was special. Um, Isaiah? Then. Then defensively, yeah, Isaiah as a college football player was was he's got to be up. That, but that's what I'm saying. I think Isaiah's different. Like, I, I'm not naming names. I'm just, just describing players. There are some notable Clemson guys who I think Clemson legends. But it's those guys. I feel like you you, you can put them with any college football player from any university, and I thought they might get picked out the pot. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. they those those guys are just special, man. Like, and then I I defensively I'll probably add like, um. I think AJ Terrell was really, really good. Um, and then maybe defensively, I would add. I think Brian Brzee is gonna is is, is a freak. <laughs> I think Brian Brzee is crazy. I think that man is really, really good. Yeah. Um, I think that. Um, I think Christian Wilkins, Christian Wilkins' persona and uh, his performance puts him just as a special player. Like I think he he's 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 he was really rare. Like if you if you could pick a person to build a team around, Christian Wilkins is definitely one of those guys you could build a team around. Um, then I because then I thought like you could. It's a long list of Clemson, but those are the guys that I played with, saw in practice, saw perform in big time games and on a regular basis. That I think, and maybe you can tell me something I'm forgetting. But I think that I think we're just special, special college football players. That covers it. Yeah, that's that's who I would. Those are the guys I would think of. Yeah, as well. you know what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah. I, like, I think the, like those guys. I I just see all of them as is just different. And I mean, amongst the college football, like last five years of guys who came out like in any school, that you put you put those guys like I say in a pot. I feel like you you could choose them as one as some of the best in their position the last five years or decade. You know, two guys who come to mind that I did not appreciate enough in the moment and who, you know, not generational type guys like we've been talking about, but just total dogs who who you want on your team. Two, to the two that come to mind are Amari Rogers and Artavis Scott. See, and I, and that, that that's a great way to say that because and I think they would, I don't think neither one of those guys are like generational, like put them in a pot type talents. But those guys were exceptionally good players, and guys who, 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 who had NFL careers. Amar, I think he's gonna have a long NFL career. Tay, Tay had got four or five years in the league, but like was they were, they were great college football players, and like which is still you know, and and in the Clemson, all both of those guys I, I would say are are really legends, like really good players. But you asked me for like the best, yeah, like yeah, the yeah, craziest, yeah, yeah. I was just yeah, I was just I, sort I, of adding to that um, yeah. about the importance and of certain. Go ahead. Yeah, I put Renfro. Oh gosh, how did we forget that guy? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I spent all last summer talking about the the losses of, of Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, uh, and and T or not T Higgins, but Lawrence and and, and Etienne. And I spent all season slapping myself in the face for not talking more about the loss of Amari Rogers because that was huge uh, this past season. Man, I'm, t- I'm telling you, he was he was a he was a great possession receiver. The last person I'm gonna put in that category, the second category, is Wayne Gallman. Oh yeah, Wayne Gallman was a re- a really good college football player, like one of the best. And so. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's one list. Hey, last question. You said you want to get into media. Do you have anything in mind? Has anything crystallized as something you just really want to shoot for? Yeah, um, I, I've tried to be proactive in in my pursuits as far as like, like I was blessed to get a couple, like be on TV a couple of times for different interviews, different awards, and I try to make, I tried to like, really like uh, make those connections. And I feel like I did a good job. A lot of, a lot of people have been helpful for me, uh, whether people ESPN or ACC Network, and so, uh, and then now as far as like I think about start starting a career in that, um, like I, I have some some big some big people approach me for opportunities, and I'm taking some of those up on it. Like in the meantime, just doing different things, like being on shows. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to be a play-by-play guy just yet, but I see myself like hosting a show mm-hmm. like, on, a, on a on a big plat- on a big platform, uh, and that's kind of what the consciousness I kind of have. That's, that's I see myself being a personality um, on on and talking sports because I know it. But play-by-play is just I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I'm doing that. <laughs> it's a different different yeah. deal doing play-by-play. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a different. I'll I'll like I'll come in at halftime and tell you how the game went. But I don't know if I'm trying to tell you how every how, how every play is going. <laughs> Well, man, so, you, whatever you, wherever you end up, you're going to be a great fit. I think um, you're a natural, and um, uh, man, you've been really generous with your time with me. So I really appreciate it, and uh, would love to have you back on at some point in the future to talk about your career trajectory. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch and listen, hopefully. Yeah, I'm. Um, no, I thank you. Um, and then I, I got, I got, I'll reach out to reach out to you about this. We got me and Ben are doing like this. Uh, reach out to call people in the media space, but just we definitely want to invite you. We're doing this NFT thing with some of the guys on the team, and just definitely want to get the buzz up there as much as possible. And we have a, we have a big event in July. We're inviting some media people too, and a couple of donors to come to at the College Wall of Fame, July twenty third. And so I'll get you some information if you're free. I'll get you some information about that. I feel like it'd be pretty cool. Um, it's like it's Clemson, like and like six other big big power five schools. Like I think LSU is going to be there, Tennessee, Florida, Bama, um, and they all have represented have a lot of players represented, and then like fans, donors, whatever you're going to call them, immediate people, and we want to get there. So I just want Clemson, I just want Clemson to be well well represented, and then be able to kind of like utilize the media as much as possible to kind of get the word out about this whole NFT thing, because basically it's just bridging the gap between the fans and the players. Um, a lot of the fans that have direct access to some players and for, for, for everybody to be able to win-win, obviously people paying money, but hopefully the experience you get is worth the money you're given. And then for the players that benefit from their platforms. So Darian, man, this has been a really fun conversation. I asked you some tough questions and you took them all. And so been really, really uh, enlightening as well. So really appreciate it, man. No, I appreciate it, my man. Thank you for thank you for. I, I'm glad we finally got to knock it out, man. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it goes well. Uh, let me know whenever you post it or put it out. I definitely would love to share it. Uh, and so, thank you. Appreciate you. Wow, that was a lot of fun. Much thanks to Darren Richer uh, for sharing his time with us. Also, thanks to our sponsors for helping make this happen and being such a loyal part of this. And most of all, thanks to every one of you for hitting play. Really appreciate it. See you next time. Cheers.